0: Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by His Spirit, will use His Word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemernoxville.org. We also wanna give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemernoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much. And here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Psalm 97. You'll be able to find it uh, on page... Uh, 499 in your pew Bible. It's also provided for you as a Christmas gift there in your bulletin. Uh, I do want to welcome you uh, to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slade, I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. It's Christmas Eve, so you could be at home roasting chestnuts on an open fire. Uh, Jack Frost could be nipping at your nose. though It might be a little warm for that. Uh, you could be at home watching all your favorite favorite Christmas movies like Die Hard and Jumanji and uh, Christmas Monkey Uh, but you're not uh, it's it's big it's on PBS Uh, sorry Kat just you're confused I don't know why Um, but you're not doing any of those things you're here uh, and I do really want to thank you for coming the reality is that there's nothing better uh, that you could do with your time than worship Jesus and consider his claims upon your life and think about the power and the glory of his salvation and so I do want to welcome you this morning welcome to Redeemer what is Redeemer well Redeemer is a church and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor and fundamentally what we believe is that Jesus is God Uh, he's the Messiah and he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the father And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn to rest in the love that God has for us in Jesus. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to spend time with one another. We love to watch basketball with each other, softball, baseball, go ice skating. We love to do all kinds of things together. But what we really love to do is gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind one another of the great love that God has for us in Jesus and as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of god to our family to our friends to our neighbors who are here in urban and university knoxville and hopefully in some way it will spill out into the entire earth right that's who we are a people who are trying to learn how to love god we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest as we remind and as we reflect and so in order to help us do that during this season of advent we've been in this series That we've entitled, O Night Divine, uh, Reflections on Psalm 94 through 100. And this phrase, O Night Divine, is a lyric that many of you know is taken out of that great Christmas carol, O Holy Night. And what I love about this line, O Night Divine, is that it reminds us that Advent, that Christmas, that the entirety of the Christian life, isn't so much about us and the things we do. It's not so much about the gifts that we give and we receive, but it is most fundamentally about God. It is most fundamentally about who he is and what he has done. And so what we're doing is we go through these psalms as we're looking at the divine work and the divine attributes that we tend to celebrate at this time of year. And so we began, as you remember, with the divine judge, we moved on and we talked about the divine shepherd, then last week we talked about the divine maker. This morning we'll talk about the divine king, tonight we'll talk about the divine song, and then uh, next week we'll talk about the divine Invitation. Alright, so this morning let's consider the divine king as we reflect upon Psalm ninety seven. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his stone, of, of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him. All you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. The word of the Lord. Excuse me, would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you are a God, not hidden nor silent, but you are one who delights to make yourself known. And you have done so uh, in your word and by your spirit, and ultimately you've done so in the person and work of Jesus. And so it's our prayer now that as we attend unto your word, that you, by your mercy kindness and in great delight might reveal more of yourself to us we pray in jesus name amen you know since its premiere in 1742 in dublin ireland one of the great advent and christmas traditions in western culture has been handel's messiah And I'm sure most of you have seen a performance of the Messiah, or at least you've listened to it on the Spotify. And I think that this piece of art, maybe more than any other, has shaped the way Christians think about and talk about uh, uh, Christmas uh, during this season. Uh, If you just think about some of the Christmas cards that you probably received and they're up on your wall, I mean, how many of them say something like this, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. how how many of your christmas cards say something like wonderful counselor mighty god prince of peace right now of course all these words come from the bible they they come from isaiah chapter 9 but they have become a part of our common holiday vocabulary because of the messiah and i think that this is an important tradition for us to not forget, to not forsake, but maybe even to recover, and not just for tradition's sake, but in order to help us understand what it is that we are actually celebrating. Because it is really easy for us to think about Christmas merely as a national holiday, or to think of Christmas as a break uh, in the midst of the dark of winter. Or to think of Christmas as sort of a nostalgic family gathering with warm-hearted merriment. It's easy for us to think about the traditions and the lights and then forget what it is that we're actually celebrating. I think Handel's Messiah beautifully captures the regal or the royal nature of Christmas. In part one of the Messiah, we hear these prophecies about the coming messiah the one who would be king and the one who would be king not just of israel but the one who would be king of the entire cosmos and then as you sing along with the messiah you come to section 12 of part one and you know those beautiful words for unto us a child is born, right? And unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, right? And then you keep going on, right? You keep singing on to uh, part two. And the uh, part two of the Messiah ends, as you know, as we stand together for the hallelujah chorus, right? Hallelujah right the lord omnipotent he reign i can't do it but he reigneth right hallelujah hallelujah right and the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and right king of kings lord of lord and he shall right say forever and ever and ever right uh, right, I'm talking about the song, not this, this bit. Uh, but anyway, but uh, you know, hallelujah. You probably know this word. It means praise Yahweh, right? Praise God. And so I want you to think about this proclamation, the praise that we give to God or the song of Christmas isn't merely all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth or these fuzzy slippers, which I really hope I get this year. It's not even... Christmas, right, and our songs of Christmas aren't even just uh, our tradition, and they're not even just a religious confession. Christmas is actually a political declaration. It is a political declaration that God is king, that God is king, and that's what I want us to think about this morning, that God is king. Is king. Would you say that with me? God is king. And that's exactly how this psalm begins. Look at verse 97, verse, or chapter 90, or Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. I want you to look at verse 2. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. I want you to look at verse 9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. And here's the point of the psalm. Here's the point of Christmas. God is king. The Lord reigns. And this psalm is preparation for that great day when all the earth will rejoice to see the glory and the power and the rule and the authority of the true king, Jesus. You might remember uh, the movie uh, Lion King. At the beginning of Lion King, Mufasa and Sarabi uh, give birth to a young cub, right, named Simba. And Simba is the newborn king, the one who will reign over the entire Pride Lands. And so when he's presented to the Pride Lands, you remember that all the earth gathers together there at at Pride Rock to rejoice in this new king who has been born and they zoom in on the monkeys as they're jumping up and down, they're clapping their hands, right, in celebration. Uh, They zoom in then and they look at the stately zebras as they bow their knee to this king. The elephants begin to trumpet their trunks. The giraffes bow their long necks to the ground. The birds fly in formation over Pride Rock like F-16s buzzing Neyland Stadium. And the earth right rejoices. And the earth is rejoicing because of this newborn king. And I think, as you know, this is probably one of the most famous scenes in any movie. And I think it's famous because it captures the longing of every heart. That one day the entire earth will rejoice at a king who will come and he will rule, verse 2, in justice and in righteousness. We long for a king who will come, who will give life, and who will give healing to the world. We long for the entire world, right? For friends and enemies, for young and old, for the weak and the strong to come together, we long for what is spoken of in Isaiah 11 for a day when the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. We long for competitors to become friends. We long for a war-ravaged world to have peace. We long for the weary world to rejoice. We long for God to reconcile all things to himself. We long for his enemies to be subdued. We long for his servants to be lifted up. We long for the world to be made right, for the mundane to become magical, for the potential to become kinetic, for sickness, sorrow, pain, and death to be felt and feared no more. And this is why we as Christians sing at Christmas. Because this is what we long for. It is the day that the promised king has, uh, has made known to us. And so we look back at that little town of Bethlehem and we sing, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And then we keep singing, come thou long expected Jesus. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Right, this is our song. And this is the confession of Christianity, that Jesus is that king and he will do it. In other words, Christmas is the declaration that God is king, right? God is king. Would you say it with me? God is king. And at Christmas, we rejoice because we have seen the king's glory. I want you to notice verse 6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Well, if all the peoples have seen his glory, when did we see it? If all the peoples have seen his glory, when did we see it? Well, on one hand, we could say uh, with Psalm 19 that we see it in creation. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. And this is just one of the classic philosophical arguments for the existence of God, right? Cosmic wonder. How is it that nothing uh, could produce something? Uh, So this argument that the very fact that we're here proclaims the glory of God. Now, of course, we might say, well, no, the world's just made up of chemicals and it's made up of laws. But then the question must come, where did those come from? And then we think about the constants of things like, uh, the constants of physics, things like the speed of light, or gravity, or nuclear forces, or the distance between the sun and the earth, or the oxygen levels that are here on this planet, or the average temperature that is on this earth, or the existence of water here, all of which are this fine-tuning of the world that allow for there to be life. And so the question is, is it merely, is this fine-tuning merely random? Or is the fine-tuning the glorious work of God? Now, even more than that, think about the glory of life and the beauty of life. We could get all of our nutrients through an IV bag. But how does God give them to us? Think about the glory of biting into an apple and then think about how much better that apple is when you dip it in caramel, right? Uh, or, then, or think about uh, biting into an orange, which is different than eating candy, which is different than eating candy cane, which is different than candy corn, which is different than drinking uh, syrup. Right? Or think about the complexity uh, of our eyes, or the beauty of the sunrise, how pink and the blues in the morning. Or think about how at the sunset God paints the sky different each and every evening. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day it pours forth speech. And yet the testimony of our lives, uh, just as the testimony of Romans 8, is that we suppress this truth. This is a truth that we suppress. But here's what's beautiful, I think, about our God and our king. Our God and our king wants his glory to be known. Our God and our king wants his glory to be seen by the entire earth. And that's the point of the incarnation. The incarnation is just a big fancy theological word for the enfleshment of God. Or God becoming man. And this is why in the Gospel of John in chapter one it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So where have we seen his glory? We have seen it most fully revealed in our King Jesus God is King right God is King would you say it with me God is King but what does the Bible mean by glory as many of you know the Hebrew word for glory is kavod meaning a weightiness or in Greek it's doxa where we get the word doxology from and these words in both of their languages have this idea of a radiance or of a light and so when we think about glory, it's our temptation uh, to think about sort of the brilliant piercing light that radiates in all directions. We, we think about golden beams. We think about grand and big and holy other. And so when we think about glory, our temptation is to think about the aesthetic of glory. But in the Bible, glory uh, refers to royalty. Glory refers to to a grand or powerful, weighty rule, like the power of a king. And this is why that glorious aesthetic comes to mind, because glory is something that someone has. It's not what someone looks like. It's something that someone has. It's something that they possess. It's the weightiness of their being. It's the weightiness that is held over the world. And this is often symbolized by crowns, gold, bright. It's often symbolized by light radiating and shining in all directions. But the light and the gold and the bigness isn't the glory. The light merely points to that which is glorious the king the one who is weighty, the one who is powerful. In other words, the glory of God is his kingship over the entire earth, his kingship over America, his kingship over China, his kingship over Russia, his kingship over the Ukraine, his his kingship over Iceland, his kingship over uh, Iran Iran and Iraq and uh, Israel and Palestine. His kingship over your work, and your home, and your children, and your entire life. God's glory is his kingship, his weightiness, because he is king. And this is why verse 11 says, Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Now a better translation to light is sown is that light dawns that light dawns. And this is exactly the image that is given at the birth of Jesus. The light has dawned. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Right? His birth is a reflection back to the joy of the king who has come. Or think about John chapter 1, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And this is why we as Christians rejoice at Christmas, because the king has come to defeat the kingdom of darkness. The king of light has come into a dark world to defeat that darkness. And that kingdom of darkness is the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of sadness, the kingdom of loneliness, the kingdom of sorrow. And he has come to replace that kingdom of darkness with his kingdom of light. Or that kingdom, verse 2, of righteousness and justice. Or that kingdom that we read about in John chapter 1, of grace and of truth. And this is why we rejoice at Christmas, because the birth of Jesus is the dawning of a new day. Because the king has come, and darkness cannot defeat him. Right? God is king. God is king. Would you say it with me? God is king. And as king, he comes to pronounce his judgments. Now look at verse 8. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Now, uh, as modern people, uh, we don't really like this idea of judgment because we tend to conflate the idea of judgment with condemnation but even though judgment and condemnation overlap on a Venn diagram uh, they are distinct right condemnation is the actual punishment condemnation is the penalty for the wrongdoing, right but judgment is actually the declaration of that which is right that which is good that which is true and that which is beautiful And so remember on the day of glory, the day for which Christ came, why is it that the Father sent the Son? Why did King Jesus come into the world in the first place? Well, in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him the reason that we rejoice at christmas is because god so loved the world that he sent his son the king into the world to save us from the kingdom of darkness you see in a sense god's judgment is his declaration and establishment of his kingdom it's his reign of glory and this is why we rejoice because the glorious king has come not to condemn us, but the glorious king has come to save us from that darkness. Now, I assume that many of you uh, are Anglophiles, uh, and that is evident by the number of you watching the crown, and uh, you might remember that earlier this year, Charles was crowned as king of England, and so now all of England says, God save the king. Uh, but at Christmas, and the glory of Christianity, is that God the king is the one who came to save God the king came to save Uh, the king has come to save us and this is why we celebrate he's come to save us from darkness he's come to save us from our sorrows he's came to save us from suffering to save us from confusion to save us from frustration to save us from sickness to save us from loneliness and maybe most glorious of all He has come to save us from sin and from death And so what is it that his reign uh, is like? What is his reign like? How is it that God our king reveals his glory? I want you to think about his first coming. The poet uh, Madeline Lingle in her poem entitled First Coming helps us begin to think about his glorious coming. Listen to her poem. He did not wait until the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners and all their grime, turning water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. He, in joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt, to a world like ours of anguished shame. He came. And his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh. To heal its tangles, shield its scorn. And the mystery of the word made flesh. The maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane. To raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain. He came with love. Rejoice rejoice. What I hope you're hearing in this is that the glory of King Jesus is that he did not abandon us to the darkness. Instead, he came to us in it. And when he comes again, like the poem says, he will make all things sane. He'll make this crazy world sane once again. But his glory isn't only seen in his coming and the fact that he came but it is also seen in his way i want you to think about the confession that we made earlier uh, from philippians chapter 2. though he was in the form of god he did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. His reign reveals his glory. His glory is seen in his reign of humility in his reign of service. His glory is seen in his loving obedience to the point of death. And so what's fascinating to me is that God's judgment on the world is this. Service, humility, loving obedience, sacrifice unto death is actually the glorious way of God's kingdom. And we have seen that glory in the face of his son, Jesus. And that is the point of this table. The table set before us is the table of King Jesus. The one who came into this world because he loved us. The one who came into the darkness in order to shed light. The one who bore our weakness in order to make us strong. The one who became lonely so that we might belong. The one who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who had dwelt in glory and left that glory and humility came to earth so that he might raise us up into his glory. This is the way of our king. And we believe it to be glorious. And so this meal is a meal that actually comes from his hand. And it comes from his hand to assure us that the one who rules us actually loves us. And this table is his promise to us that the king who loves us will come again, and when he does, there will be no more darkness. But we will live by the light of his glory that is seen in his face. God is king. Right? God is king.